Well, I have noticed a trend that I want to explore today with you all. And I think probably when I name this, you all will be able to identify with this. Why is it that children so naturally risk and adapt when they're learning to walk and when they're learning to talk? And yet so often as adults, we can't do that at all. Why is it as adults, somewhere between being a baby and being an adult, we become risk averse? We don't want to adapt and change. Have you noticed this trend? It happens in groups, too. You look at businesses. A lot of businesses start around risk, around innovation or invention. And the organization is constantly adapting to grow to its experiences. But then eventually, we've all seen businesses that start to value stability and safety over the peril that made it the great business that it became. We're using the image of sailing here to talk about how we journey with God through life. And, and you know, for sailors in, in the ancient world, I mean, any time, even now, but in the ancient world especially, like, that was a really risky job. I mean, imagine even just a couple hundred years ago, being a sailor, heading to the New World, Imagine walking the gangplank to get onto the boat. When is the next time you're getting off that boat if you are going across the Atlantic Ocean? Right? You don't know. Do we have enough food? What's the wind going to do? The wind could push us way off course. The wind could stop and leave us stranded. Okay, We could go all kinds of places. And then would we even make it back? Will we be able to trade enough to make money on this voyage? Imagine saying goodbye to your family to walk onto a boat to head off into that journey. And imagine how adaptable you'd have to be to be on that journey. I mean, what is the wind going to do? And what is this storm going to... What's this storm going to do? Is it going to push us way off course? Uh, what are we going to eat? And how are we going to do this? And what if somebody gets injured? And the amount of course correcting. When you sail, you can't sail in a straight line. Can't just get on the highway. You gotta go with the wind, and so it's a constant course correction. When I go kayaking on Lake Arthur, I can see all of Lake Arthur. Like there's the beach, there's the bridge, I don't get lost on Lake Arthur. When you're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, it's all blue. Right? And so you gotta be constantly remeasuring, re-looking at where you are. You got so you got two sides of this, right? The risk taking. Taking on the change, facing the danger, doing things that could fail. And then the adaptation, the ability to course correct, to learn, to grow, to move, to change as things are happening. When you were born, this was really natural for you. Otherwise, you would not be able to walk. Okay, babies have to do this to walk. My wife uh, is, uh, babysits a lot for a, a little boy, and he's been learning to walk and now learning to talk. And when you watch him, he is fearless. Okay, we have a little step in our house, and uh, he will just run towards that step. He does not know. But if he knew, he wouldn't try, would he? Like, how do you learn how to walk? You lean on the couch, and then you're looking at the chair, and you're like, I think I can do it. Right? And then, isn't it funny how kids' heads are so big? Some kids have really big heads. I, I have a relative. Was, he was Charlie Brown. He had this giant head. And uh, he always had, when he was around a walk, he had always bruises and cuts. And I think his head was so big, he'd start heading, and then the head would get ahead of the feet. You know what I mean? 
And then when they learn how to, when they learn how to talk, you have to like correct them all the time. Like, no, it's, it's, and even as they get older, it's like, no, it's not goad, it, it's went, right? We have to learn all these things. You have to constantly sort of correct. And so kids are always adapting to the scenario and they're always trying and they're always pushing out. We're born innovators. We're born entrepreneurs. We are naturally artists that push the limits. Then something happens. Not to everybody, but to most of us. Something happens along the way where we either hit our head too many times or we fail and somebody laughed at us and so we learn not to do that. But at some point, we figure out the risk is risky. At some point, we figure out the risk is risky and so we're a little more hesitant to step out. Maybe it's because the stakes get higher. Right? Like a company that's early on, there's like three people, and you're not even getting paid yet. And so you can take all the chances in the world. Then when you've got several thousand employees, you've got shareholders and stakeholders, you've got all these people, you've got other companies that are waiting on your products, well, then mistakes are costly. I know that too for myself. Now that I'm in my 40s, if I fall, it can be a lot worse than when I was in my 20s. I remember playing basketball in high school. I sprained my ankle and I played basketball like three days later. Now I sprain my ankle. It is like three weeks of torture. And as I get older, it seems to be getting longer. The recovery time, anybody feeling this? Yeah, so, so when you fall, like when you're a kid, you fall, you bounce back up. But as you get older, the fall has different consequences. The timeline gets a little longer. And so over time, we all seem to get a little more risk averse. Okay, risk-taking becomes risk-averse. Adaptive becomes inflexible. Certainty is valued above possibility. For organizations, the entrepreneurs turn into managers, and then they turn into guardians of the torch, just trying to hold on to the past. Bravery becomes self-preservation. We become rigid, and when we become rigid, we become brittle so that the smallest thing sets us off. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Well, I think partially it's, it's the rising consequences. Partially it's also learned. Uh, in uh, Len Sweet's book, Aqua Church, he, he refers to a study done with monkeys. So what they did was they put four monkeys in a room. And in the middle of this room, you couldn't do this now, but that, this is how they used to do the science. Okay, you put four monkeys in a room. There was a pole in the middle of the room. And at the top of the pole was a bunch of great looking bananas. Okay, so they put these four monkeys, let them go in the room, and one monkey saw the bananas. And what did he do? He goes, starts climbing, and then right as he gets to where he can just about touch the bananas, freezing cold water sprays him really hard. He screams, slides down the pole, and heads over the corner to dry off and recover. What does the next monkey do? Oh, he was going after a banana, so he goes climbing up there. Spray right as he gets to the top and comes to the ground, heads off to his own corner. And slowly, each of the four monkeys have tried it. And then eventually they get bold enough, they try again, you know, but it always to the same effect. And so eventually, none of the monkeys are climbing the pole. They're living their life in this room, but they are ignoring the bananas that are at the top of this pole. They're not even trying. Then the scientists traded out one of the monkeys. Okay, so now we have a monkey that has never climbed the pole. And what do you think it wanted to do? Climb the pole. But what do you think the other monkeys did? Pulled it down. 
The other monkeys ran over and grabbed the monkey and pulled it down so that that monkey would not go out there and get sprayed. And the monkey very quickly learned the lesson, don't go after those bananas. Then the experimenters took it a step further, and they started trading out each of the monkeys. So eventually, there's four monkeys in the room, none of which are the original four. None of which have ever climbed the pole. They've never gotten sprayed by the water. And they've also never climbed the pole. They learned the lesson. The lesson, don't climb the pole. Even when the water's turned off. When they were allowed, they could go get And none of them had ever been sprayed by the water. They never tried. Because it was passed along to them. Don't try. Don't risk. That doesn't get you where you want to go. Sometimes we do this. We hold each other back. We mock people that want to leave the harbor. That want to try something. We hold them back. We warn them. I'm not sure you want to do that. I'm not sure you understand the risk that's involved. And a lot of times we're not actually trying to take care of them. We're trying to take care of ourselves. I remember going to work at a place. And uh, I was in high school and I was, I was cleaning at this facility. And I, was, I worked really hard my first day, my second day. And then my third day, a guy pulled me aside and said, You know, son, there's a lot to clean. You shouldn't clean so hard. <laughs> and I, I thought, I, in high school, I thought, This guy's really watching out for me. That's nice. But he wasn't watching out for me. What was he watching out for? Him. He was watching out for him. He didn't want to work hard. So he tried to hold me back. And that is sometimes what we do with risk. We try to hold other people back, even in subtle ways, encourage them not to try. Because it might make us feel bad if they try and succeed and we are held back. And then here's another strategy that we use. Sometimes we create safe harbors. Sometimes, sometimes we, we, we create a place where in our lives, I mean, of course... Some change you can't help, right? Some risk is risky. Okay, you gotta drive your car. Your doctor may retire. You know, your house may have a problem. A tree may come down. There's certain risks in life that are unavoidable. Your company may lay you off. Your company may close. So here's what we do. We create safe harbors. We create little spaces in our life where nothing changes. Like the dining room. Okay. And we just keep this one place, okay, my office, my church, whatever, where I keep it the same. And that way, all these other changes are happening, but at least I have this safe harbor. And so I can deal with all these other changes because I know this place isn't changing, right? And here's how you know if you did this, is when you have a strong emotional uh, um, response when something changes in your harbor. I remember, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, my parents decided to paint their house. I hadn't lived there in a while, right? But, but they decided we're going to paint our house inside, so we got to take down everything off the walls. And they had the nerve to not put it all back. In fact, they put some stuff up that wasn't there before, and they put some stuff up in the wrong place. And I remember going back to my parents' house and saying, what did you do to my house? Oh, I sort of realized I had moved a lot. But my parents' house was like a safe harbor for me. It was comfortable. It was the same. It was a sort of bastion of sameness that it helped me deal with a lot of other changes in my life. And when it changed, I had a much stronger reaction than I should have. This is their house. I don't live there anymore. Okay? But when I have a strong reaction to something changing in my harbor, that's a sign that I've maybe put a little too much into this harbor. 
that I'm not just reacting to change in my harbor, but I'm actually, I've used that harbor to help me deal with other changes. The other challenge is, harbors are one of the worst places to be when you're in a ship. Did you know this? Big sailboats, you don't want to be in the harbor when a storm comes. Because a couple things can happen. You can get, you're going to get slammed up against the dock and up against other boats. And actually, when there's a storm, the sea will swell. So the sea will rise and the sea will fall and your ship can bottom out. Okay? And a lot of harbors, there are sunken ships from just this happening. Okay? A lot of times when, we get in, when you're sailing you, you, and you're in a big boat, you do not want to be in the harbor and you do not want to hug the coastline in a storm. That's the worst place to be. You, you, that's, you're going to get slammed there. You've got to get away from the stuff you're going to slam into. And that is hard. That is, when you're a sailor, you know that. But in life, that's a really hard mentality to get into. Because when I get scared, I want to head to the harbor. I want to head to the shallows. And that's the worst place to be. And the, the world is changing a lot. We are in a stormy world with a lot of troubled waters. And the tendency is to become risk averse when we're nervous. And another interesting thing that's happened here, I think COVID destroyed a lot of harbors, right? How many people had their harbor be their home? And then when you were stuck in it for eight months, you started noticing stuff that you didn't notice before. Like, how long has this yellow looked horrible, right? And so what happened during COVID? Not only were we all bored, we were all tired of looking at our walls and a whole bunch of people painted and a whole bunch of people did repairs and a whole bunch of people threw stuff out. Our sales here for book sales and everything went way up after COVID. Why? Everybody cleaned out their closets. Okay? COVID messed with a lot of our harbors. That's what happened. We, got, we started to realize they were harbors and we didn't like all the time what was in there when we were stuck there. The world's changed and we seek harbors, but, but what we actually need is the risk and the constant adaptation that was natural to us when we were two, but somehow we've lost over time. Now, I should say, to be fair, this trend is not true of everybody. We all know people that also are pretty good at risk. Also, we all know people who take way too many risks, right? We all, we all know people that are just kind of dumb and they just do stupid things without any reference to consequence, without any reference to God's will or leading. They just do what they want in the moment. Like, that is not what I'm arguing for either here. Okay, there, there's an appropriate level where you should take Risks. We should take chances. So I'm not arguing for foolish, foolishness or acting with no regard for consequences or God's leading. But here's what I am arguing for. That risk and adaptation are part of following Jesus. In the whole Bible, I don't see God ever come to someone and say, Hey, do the most boring, easy thing you can do. Never does the Holy Spirit go, The thing you're already doing... Never. This just never happens in the Bible. When the Bible, when God says to do something, it's like, I don't know if I can do that. That's big. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Do stuff you're not capable of on your own so that you have to rely on Jesus. That's the whole thing. God calls and we have to follow and we have to trust. God never calls to what's easy, obvious, or stable. He just doesn't. Let me read a few words 
of the, the Apostle Paul to a young Timothy who he's mentoring. This is 2 Timothy 1, verses 3 through 7. A, a, this, this verse at the end is so powerful, but I want to read this little section to get you there. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and now your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So Paul is so thankful for Timothy. And he knew Timothy's family. And he's saying, look, you, you, your grandmother had this faith. And your mom had this faith. And it's so awesome. I'm so thankful that that faith of your parents and your grandparents is now in you. That's great. That's amazing faith legacy. But then Paul is also saying, don't rest on that. Don't rest on that. Don't simply be satisfied to stand on the faith of your ancestors. Bring it forward. Fan it into a flame. Keep it ablaze. And I love his reason right there at the end. This is a verse... This is a verse, you might want to write this down, hang it on your mirror, put it in your car. Um, but this is a verse to hang on. Put it by your door when you leave the house. What does he say? For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The word self-control could be sound judgment too. Okay, wisdom. God gave you a spirit, not of Fear, but a power of love and of self-control. Let me say this to you clearly. If you are motivated by fear, that is not from God. If there's a spirit of fear that's actually motivating you and that's what's actually pushing you forward, that is not a spirit that God gives you. Paul says it clear as day. Okay, Paul says, what, what, what does God give you? Power and love and sound judgment, self-control. When you are motivated by fear so that you don't feel, so you feel powerless, so you can't love, so that you have no self-control, you're just controlled by your fear, that is not a spirit that God gives you. It's not from God. God does not work on fear. It's not how it works. So if you're going to follow God's will, you're going to sail the wind of God's leading, you're not motivated by fear of failure. Not looking silly, not dishonoring the past. Those kind of things keep you in the harbor. They keep you close to the coastline. No, to follow Jesus is to have, not to have that fear control you, but to sail. That's where the ride is. That's where you're closest to God. Okay? You're not close to God in the harbor. And this world does not need harbor Christians. Doesn't need hug the coastline Christians. It needs hoist the sails, let's go, Christians. That's what this world needs. That's where the power is. That's where the life is. That's where the ride is. That's where you're closest to Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have any fears. We, we, we may have fears. 
Some fears are legitimate fears. If I told you that, that uh, there's a poisonous snake that's running around here in the sanctuary right now, there's not. You should have legitimate fear. Like, let's, let's leave. Okay, that's, that's, not, uh, you know, that's not being controlled by fear. That's being aware of risk. You should be aware of risk. That's cool. And sometimes, remember what I said, God doesn't ask you to do boring little stuff. He asks you to do big stuff. And so um, sometimes God does lead a little bit with our fear. If you hear an idea and you think, oh, and you get this little lump in your throat, yeah, watch out for that idea. God tell you to do something, you feel a little queasy. You're like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Oh, watch out for that one. I, I spent some time with a pastor named Adam Hamilton. We've done a couple of these programs here, Big Methodist Pastor. Uh, Pastor of the Big Methodist Church in Kansas City. One of his leadership principles with his team is to move towards the nausea. And so, so they're in a meeting, and somebody has an idea, and they're like, oh, I don't know about that. Let's talk about that more. Because a lot of times, God is leading with nausea. But you're not motivated by fear. Motivated by power. Faith involves risk. Life involves risk. We're pretending when we stay in the harbor. Life involves risk. Driving home is a risk today. There's risk all over the place. Don't pretend like it's not. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, of self-control. Here's why it's important, because risk is where your faith grows. Adaptation is where God schools you. That's where the ride is. The open seas is where you get close to God. You want to grow in your faith. Hoist the sail and head out. Don't be motivated by your fear. So here's your challenge for this week. A little homework. Sometime during this week, it may take you a couple sessions. I want you to take out a piece of paper. Take out a piece of paper. Draw a line down the middle. And I'd love for you to mark the places where you're hiding too much in the harbor. Places where you really should be taking more risk. You should be pushing a little harder and you're you're afraid and so you're, you're holding back. And then the other side of the page, right where you're taking your risks. Where is your edge? Where are you learning and growing? And my guess is, as you do that, the Holy Spirit may show you a little bit about your life. Like if you've got way too many things on one side of the page versus the other, you should pay attention to that. Right? Or maybe God will say, well, this thing that you're really staying near the harbor, I need that in the other column. I need you to start taking a risk on that. So your homework is take out a piece of paper at some point, draw that line, and make these two columns. Where am I hiding in the harbor? And where really am I taking my risks? And I think as you do that, God will guide you to some reflections in your own life. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace as we try to be bold. Give us the heart of children that we may take risks. And just trust you completely. Let us, like Peter, get out of the boat and follow you when no one else will. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.